what is up my dudes welcome to olympia oddities i'm trista and i'm steven and we are going to do our annual squatch fest recap for you guys to kick off the show boy was it oh man interesting yeah. fun fun it was my first one and it was um, i loved it so much happened okay right off the bat i feel like we have to start with um we met bob gimlin we fucking met we met bob gimlin bob gimlin bob motherfucking gimlin <laughs> literally as soon as we got there i just beelined right towards like the booths of people you could meet and there was like no line there was like one woman with like a little tiny girl in front of us and then us and i was like you know what I'm going to fight that social anxiety and I'm going to go say hi to Bob. <laughs> and I did it. And he asked me if he could give me a hug. Sweetest little old man. And I hugged Bob Gimlin and I got a, Steven got a picture of it, which oh, he is got a adorable few and wholesome. And then we both got to take a couple pictures with Bob and he is like so nice and so sweet. And he's just like an adorable little old cowboy. And he's really just like, it was awesome to meet him. I'm geeking out about it like all, all over again. He was shorter than you, wasn't he? Yes, he is shorter Tiny than man. Me. I'm like 5'6", so for comparison. Well, so. You said 5'7 this morning. It's 5'6 and a half. I like to round up. Okay. <laughs> and then, did you have another favorite part? Because I definitely know what my other favorite part was. Oh, man. I'm not exactly sure what my favorite part was outside of just taking it all in and then seeing the the uh, slash squatch like we didn't see him play but there's just yeah the man impersonating sasquatch and slash combined as one seeing that oh my god that was hilarious there's a lot of layers to that yeah <laughs> my other favorite part was um during like the community storytelling part which anytime you have just random people allowed to go up on stage you know it's gonna be fun. you know it's gonna be great and so they're like wrapping up with it. And this one guy goes up on stage last minute. Oh, this guy. Yeah. And he tells a story about how Bigfoot used to watch him when he was a child. His dad would go drop him off with Bigfoot. He told another story about his dad driving through a snowstorm one time. And he saw Bigfoot running and his dad stopped the car and was like, I don't know why he's out here and why he's alone. He was like, he why, why are you out here? Why are you out here? And he also told us that um, juvenile Sasquatch look exactly like human beings and that you could be talking to one right now. Oh, that was my favorite part of his spiel. Was he was just like, oh, and who knows, man, you could be talking to one right now. He also said that the human ones had an extra tantric hip movement when they walked, which <laughs> we're getting back into talking about Bigfoot's body in a way that I'm like really, really uncomfortable about. <laughs> But overall, I think that was the most fun that I've ever had at Squatch Fest. That was the most memorable one. Um, it was just a blast. I had a great time. No, absolutely. And then I was going to say, Bob, I don't know who he had with him. Uh, if that was like his son, a, a, a relative of some sort, uh, for lack of a better term, a handler. Uh, but uh, yeah, he just could not stop talking about how like appreciative that we like everybody came out and that Bob, like that, that we that we were all here to see bob gimlin yeah you know he's an old man and like he's like 85 isn't he i want to say he's like close to 90 damn. and he looks great though no like, he, he moves did. he moves like an old cowboy but like so do i <laughs> comes with the territory um but so sweet so nice he really really appreciates people coming out and meeting him 
So if he's around for the next Squatch Fest, you guys should definitely go out and try to meet Bob. He's amazing. He'll take a million pictures with you and give you a hug and just he's just a great guy. They also have a whole plethora of like pictures that he signed. You can get like pictures of him, pictures of like a drawing of Patty. We got uh, one of Patty. We got the yeah. famous Patterson Gimlin still from the footage. We got one signed, right? Signed, yeah. No, yeah. it's signed. It's signed. We got to figure out a way to display that. Oh, I'm going to frame it. We got to find a way to frame it. I also ended up getting a brochure from Rene de Hendon's like, personal collection, which was cool. He was one of Canada's Bigfoot um, hunters who also went and checked out the Patterson Gimlin tracks a few days after um, the footage was taken. So I thought that that was really cool, and I'm really ex excited to add that to like my own personal collection of Bigfoot stuff that's growing by the year, and it's almost getting concerning. <laughs> All right, so we have got one hell of a true crime case for you guys today. I started researching this one and was blown away by the brutality of the crime, but also by some of the weirdest details that I've ever read in a true crime case. And man, does it get painful. Today, we're going to be telling you about Deva Cross, a man who almost completely annihilated his family, except for one daughter, who lived a night of terror caused by his actions. This episode has a trigger warning for domestic abuse, violence against, violence against women, and a mention of suicide. Let's get into it now. Not much is out there on Deva Michael Cross's early life. He was born on September 19, 1959, and had a troubled life. While living in Pennsylvania with his first wife and children, he started the habit of throwing blankets over the windows of the house, leaving the house completely dark. He stayed in the darkness, only occasionally coming out at night to pace the halls of the home. His first wife and children were terrified of him. Is this man a vampire? <laughs> it does kind of sound like vampire behavior. I was about to make a Twilight joke, but I was just like, this is just making it too easy. If it was Twilight behavior, he'd be breaking into a teenage girl's room and watching her sleep. And sparkling. And sparkling. His first wife, Irene Watt, told the Seattle PI that Cross was physically abusive and would become enraged at almost anything. She said that he had been a bodybuilder and abused steroids. He'd also been diagnosed as a manic depressive. She said that he once punched her so hard in the stomach that she had to go to the emergency room. Good lord. Yeah, we got a real trash man here right off the bat. Also, steroid abuse combined with being a manic depressive is probably not a great combination. I mean, I'm not a doctor of any sort, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't, that, that, that don't sound like a good day. Uh, uh, <laughs> doesn't sound like a good idea of any sort. Oh, man. She also told the PI that every tooth in my mouth is chipped or cracked from him. I used to have patches of my hair that he would pull out. She left him after 10 years of marriage. Uh, but he came to her job at a factory and kidnapped her at knife point. He drove back to their house and told her that he was going to kill her and she would never see her kids again. Luckily, that didn't happen. But Oof. that is seriously unhinged behavior. I have so many questions about that. Did her coworkers just let it happen? I guess you do if there's a knife involved. But, like, do you think Kevin, Kevin from accounting, like, has your back and then... Next thing you know, you're getting kidnapped at knife point, and Kevin's just standing there, like pretending he's got copies to make. <laughs> Suddenly interested in that fax machine. Come on, Kevin, help me out. Like, what's Kevin gonna do though? He's gonna throw like a big stack of paper at the dude. Something like a ream of paper. 
I mean, yeah, you're you're right. I mean, sure, he isn't he is an ex bodybuilder, steroid abusing, scary unhinged man though. Honestly, I would be Mm -hmm. like, wow, this office plant really needs to be watered. It looks like no one's done that in a while. Has anybody noticed this ficus before? This is a nice ficus over here. Is that a golf ball in the root of that? That's nice. No, I would like to think that I would try to help at least, but also at the same time, I don't want to get stabbed too. No, I feel that. Uh, His second wife was a woman named Ellen, and she divorced him after just seven years. She said that he had a drinking problem, a marijuana problem, and that he was physically and and that he physically and verbally abused her. So just a track record of just being a scumbag to women. Multiple substance abuse. He's a winner. His attorney, Richard Warner, later told the court and jurors that Cross had tried to put the sickness behind him in 1990. He quit drinking, smoking, and stopped eating red meat. He began exercising almost nonstop. He seemed to be doing much better, but then a heated battle over custody of his children and his mother's death in 1996 plunged him right back into the darkness. He moved in with his soon-to-be wife, Anoushka Baldwin in 1998. They had met when Anoushka had started renting renting him a room, and she had remarked to her ex-husband that she was going to marry Cross one day, shortly after he began renting from her. He was stoned or drunk at nearly all times during this period of his life. He had one criminal conviction for misdemeanor reckless endangerment, which I'm assuming is probably the kidnapping. I would assume so. Yeah. Naushka worked two jobs and often went several nights in a row with no sleep. She rode her bike for an early morning newspaper route from 2 to 6 a.m. and then was a caregiver for an elderly couple in the afternoon and evenings. Her ex-husband said that her children were her life. They came before everything else in the world. She'd been born in France and done some modeling and had been married before in the 80s, but her husband had, had passed away. One evening in March 1999, Cross punched Naushka in the face during an argument. The next morning, Anoushka's 13-year-old daughter, Melissa Baldwin, awoke to the sound of her mother's frantic screaming, then silence. Cross had stabbed his wife to death. Anoushka was just 37 years old. He also stabbed Anoushka's 18-year-old daughter, Salome Holly, to death. Salome had been an aspiring marine biologist. Her body was found near the kitchen door as if she'd been trying to escape and run for her life. That's so incredibly sad. Yeah, and that's got to be terrifying to wake up to the sound of your mom screaming and then it just Just stops. stops. That's, like, got to be one of the scariest things that I could, like, that poor baby. I mean, she was 13. That's so young. Like, that's... Melissa cowered in fear in the bedroom that she shared with her 15-year-old sister, Amanda. Cross slammed against the door until he busted it off the hinges and began stabbing Amanda. Melissa used a piece of cloth to try to stop Amanda's bleeding, but it didn't work. She would later hold up the bloody piece of cloth for the jurors as she told the story of how she tried to save Amanda. It's so sad. I can't yeah. imagine just trying to desperately save like save your loved one from like another family member. It's just so incredibly heavy. Melissa had just witnessed the death of her own sister, but her night of terror wasn't over. Cross kept her confined at knife point for five hours while he watched TV and occasionally had her refill his glass of wine. He used two bloody knives, his murder weapons, to threaten her and also punched her in the face. She was finally able to escape and run to a neighbor's house once he fell asleep. Jesus Christ. I can't imagine trying to like sit there and make that decision of like, oh, is it okay for me to... Oh my God. That's like, it's like literally living inside of a horror movie. 
Cross was arrested without incident on the same day of the crime. Police had found the three victims covered with blankets and found Cross sitting in his bedroom, smoking a cigarette. In the backseat of the police car, he began growling and grunting like an animal. Once at the police station, he hugged his knees and started humming a mantra-like song. He told the police that, I don't give a fuck. I killed them. I did it. My life's over. He had told Melissa, the only one to survive the ordeal, that his plan was to kill his ex-wife and to go live somewhere else. As his attorney, Richard Warner, put it, he was clearly not understanding what he had just done or the absurdity of just going off to live happily ever after. When asked if he had drunk a bottle of wine that day, Cross replied to his interrogator with, I don't know, man. I just told you that's it. Quit asking me some of the fucking things, man, will ya? He's quite the charmer, right? This man's a scholar. After his arrest, Cross tried to kill himself while in jail in what I can only describe as a very unusual manner. Are you are you ready? I'm I'm ready. You say that, but I'm not sure if you are. He had packed his throat with mattress stuffing and toilet paper before shoving cornbread up his nose and slamming himself into the walls and floor until he fractured his skull and neck. Now, we we had, were laughing when we heard about the cornbread because we were like, that just sounds so ridiculous. But then we later found out that apparently solidifies yeah, in your head. He did that because he was trying to make like a hard, like concrete esque substance in his nose so when he slammed his head around into things it would cause more damage we had no idea i know and now i'm gonna think about that whenever i try to eat cornbread shout out candace i'm coming for your cornbread soon uh because of the skull and cervical column fracture and injury to his brain and spine cross was now paraplegic and confined to a wheelchair Wow. Okay, that part I did not know. This bizarre attempt at suicide got heavy attention by the media, and one jury panel had to be dismissed because of it. Oh, jeez. Just getting known all across the land as Cornbread Guy. Cornbread Man. Cornbread Man. Cornbread Head. (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) Finally in court, Cross pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity and informed the court that he would be going with a diminished capacity defense. Sometime later, against his team's advice, he withdrew his not guilty plea and instead entered an Alford plea. An Alford plea is a guilty plea in court where the defendant does not admit to the criminal act and asserts innocent, but also admits that the evidence presented by the prosecution would likely be enough to convince a judge or jury to find the defendant guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. So kind of a, I did it, I didn't do it type thing. In his Alfred plea, Cross stressed that the murders had not been premeditated. The prosecution agreed that he could argue that the murders had not been premeditated, and Cross's counsel began putting together a defense using Cross's mental health history. All you really need to do with that mental health evaluation or history is just put a big old stamp on a piece of paper that just says steroids, <laughs> and I guarantee you that'll cover it. Cross's behavior in court was strange, to say the least. He had frequent outbursts that included him swearing at the judge and prosecution. He also became really against the idea of an expert testimony on his mental health being presented for the court. He said that he was against the expert testimony because, quote, 
I have never cared for the psychiatrists. There's too much stuff pulled over them. I felt there was too much crap to believe the psychiatrists. I will live with this trial for the rest of my life. And I don't want to lie or communications like this that everyone wants to mount a defense. And it's a bunch of bullshit. From the beginning, all I wanted to do was plead guilty and get it over with. I think everybody suffers from depression at at some time. And that's no excuse for a crime. His team told him that the expert testimony was required, so Cross made several attempts to fire his attorney or have a different counsel appointed. Cross was clearly annoyed at hearing the private details of his life told for all to hear, and he would often shift uneasily during the court or yell, Your time's up! at his own attorney. Kind of baller. Just, your time's up. Your time's up to your life. It is kind of a power move in any other situation. <laughs> just imagine like looking over at a, at a lawyer of any sort just a judge anybody that is like in, trying to be on your side or has the potential to save your ass and you're just like your time's up <laughs> on june 22nd 2001 dave across was sentenced for the murders The jury decided to give him the death sentence, but due to Washington no longer having the death penalty, he has been removed from death row. The most recent information I could find on his location says that he's in the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla as of 2019. Thank you for listening to another episode of Olympia Oddities. Our sources for this episode were Murderpedia, a Seattle PI article titled Depression, Madness Led to Killings, Defense Says, The State versus Cross, and a Reuters article titled Murder Suspect in Serious Condition. If you want to support the podcast, tell a friend, leave us a positive review, or follow the social media for the podcast at Olympia Oddities Podcast on Facebook or Instagram. If you want to send in your own spooky story, cryptid sighting, or an idea for a topic to cover, you can DM us on there or email us at olympiaoddities at gmail.com. I'm Trista, and you can find my personal Instagram at saloonghost. I'm Steven, and you can find my Instagram at the Steven Ramirez. And we have some really exciting news that we should be able to share with you guys by the time we record the next episode. So definitely stay tuned from that. Yeah. And until next time, friends. <laughs>